This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Hi, Raw Beauties. How's everyone doing today? Let's take a little moment to do the checkup from the neck up. Notice how you're feeling today. If I were to ask you on a scale from one to 10, where are you landing at in this moment? One being "Mm, not our best today and 10 being, oh, hell yeah, I got this. I'm thriving in life. Where are you today? wherever you're at on on one of our live coaching calls this week, I noticed there were a lot of people that were four and below, which tends to be a bit more normal around this time of year. A lot of people are struggling with a bit more burnout. We've entered the winter months in Vancouver. It has been pouring rain and stormy for about eight weeks now, which impacts the way that we feel. So wherever you're at, can you just give yourself a little self-compassion and a little love And remember that step-by-step, you can move up on the scale by following some of the simple uh, recommendations in this podcast and all of our other shows. You don't have to do it all at once. I'm really a big believer in just doing one step at a time. I just got off the phone with Dr. Michelle Cambolis. We're working together right now to create an anxiety toolkit for everyone And I said to her, you know, I think we need almost like an emergency anxiety list of five things that somebody can do if they feel like their anxiety is really high. This list also applies if you're feeling quite low today, if you're feeling a little depressed or, you know, you're not resonating where you want to be at. So let me tell you what she recommended as a doctor who has worked as a clinical therapist for years and years. Here are her five tips to really help you boost your mood or just even survive that moment of anxiety or depression that you're in. So the first thing is to not trust your thoughts. This is not a time to be tuning into your intuition. When your hormones aren't balanced and your system is in fight or flight or really low, our thoughts can get really convoluted and they're not always accurate. So this isn't a moment to try and solve that big issue that you're faced with or to reason. It's really a time for rest and recovery. So number one, don't trust the thoughts in your mind. Number two, cut out stimulants. So removing caffeine or really reducing caffeine and limiting alcohol or anything else that can kind of rev the system up. Number three is spending time in nature. So getting out into the world, surrounding yourself with nature, I added to this list a quick cold water shower. So you can start with warm water and then go to cold, shock the system, try and stay in for 30 seconds to three minutes. Obviously, make sure that you're safe while you're doing this. 
and then back to warm water. But surrounding yourself with that water really helps to signal to the vagus nerve that you are safe and calm. Number four is to rest. I find it very helpful to have a weighted blanket when I've got a lot of anxiety. I'll crawl into bed, turn the lights down low. I will either listen to like a fun light audiobook or some music, especially if my thoughts are spirally. Put a blanket on you, or if you don't have a weighted blanket, even just some extra pillows over your body. It signals touch to your body, and touch feels safe to us. And then the last thing, number five, is hand off as much as you can off your plate to give yourself a chance to recover. This doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It's just what is smart in this given moment to give yourself space to recover. If you can take some time off of work or school or whatever you're doing, if you can call a babysitter or ask for extra support with the kiddos, whatever it is that's going to give you a moment to just come back to a more balanced space. All right, that is Michelle Cambolis's PRN list for you all. Mark this if you need to refer back to it or write that list for yourself, tuck it into your bedside table or put it up on the bathroom mirror so that it's there when you need it most. I'm so pumped for today's guest. This is going to be a really interesting conversation all about gut health, which is a hot topic right now in the world of health and wellness. I've got dietitian Tamar Samuels joining me. We're talking about healing IBS, SIBO, and GI issues. Tamar shares five tools to support better gut health, the superfood that might be wreaking havoc on your gut. She shares her personal story about how she healed from SIBO and talks about how stress impacts our gut health and what we can do about it. Tamar, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I would love to hear a little bit about you and how you got into this profession and the work that you do. Nutrition is such a fun space to be in. I actually got into it almost 10 years ago before it was all the rage. And I dove into the nutrition space from personal reasons, as many dietitians do, and just trying to manage my own chronic GI conditions. It was a huge challenge and it really impacted my quality of life. And so I kind of tried everything. I dove into, you know, more conventional medicine. I dove into more alternative medicine. I really tried a lot of different things to try and heal myself. And through the process, I just got super passionate and interested in nutrition. I was working with kids in an after school program and I ended up teaching a nutrition class with a dietitian at the time and I didn't even know dietitians was even a career. So I kind of found out about the space then and, and immediately changed careers and here I am today. Wow. Talk to me a little bit about your own gut health issues that you were navigating. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I was really struggling with chronic bloating, um, constipation. I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, but I actually ended up having a condition called SIBO, which is an acronym for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. 
I feel like I'm hearing so much about SIBO now and gut health in general, because we know that it is so tied to our mental health and with so many people struggling with anxiety and depression and mood disorders. I don't know. It's just coming up all the time that our gut health is an integral part of our overall health. And and so more and more people are talking about it. But 10 years ago, even like five years ago, I feel like it wasn't as much of a conversation piece as it is right now. So you received the IBS diagnosis. Like, how were you told to treat that? You know, it's so interesting because IBS is a condition that's diagnosed from exclusion. So you sort of go through all of these tests. You go through like a celiac disease panel, you go through inflammatory bowel disease panel. And once you kind of rule out all of that, then most GIs will give you a diagnosis of IBS if you have these symptoms. And so it's sort of like this catch-all diagnosis, which can be really frustrating for a lot of people because it's kind of like, oh, well, you have these symptoms, but we don't really know what's wrong. (laughs) So we're going to give you this diagnosis because we know this is real, but there could be a number of underlying causes for IBS. And one of them actually is SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. But not all people who have IBS have SIBO. And Erin, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's such an intimate connection between the gut and the mind and also the gut and the immune system too, which is obviously you know, huge in our conversation around health these days. So, you know, it it impacts millions of people around the world. And we don't have one treatment for it, because there are multiple causes. And so kind of getting to the bottom of what is contributing to your symptoms is really like the tough detective work that I like to do as a dietitian. Mm, So you actually help people with this and figuring out, is this an allergy? Is this bacterial overgrowth? Is this stress? Like what is going on that's causing these symptoms? Yeah. I mean, certainly when it comes to, you know, the work that I do, it's always in collaboration with a team of healthcare providers, right? Dietitians can't diagnose medical conditions. And so I'm always referring out and speaking with GIs or, you know, whatever other healthcare practitioners sort of involved in my client's care and really working with them to help to support the patient's symptom relief. From a nutrition perspective, there's a lot of experimentation that we dive into when it comes to treating IBS and small intestine bacterial overgrowth, both conditions may or may not need to be treated with medication as well. So it's always important, I think, to not just rely exclusively on food to treat these medical conditions. I think that there is certainly a place for medicine here. However, it doesn't work for everyone. And you don't need to have medication in order for you to get better. And oftentimes, you can get better without it. However, like it's important to just be open-minded to whatever works. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you speak a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. 
Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited Titan deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's so complicated. I, when you were like, it's so important to work with a team or professionals, I couldn't agree more. There's been so many times when I've had an upset stomach or something's going on and you know it's off. And the first thing that we do these days is turn to Google where there's a hundred million quote unquote experts sharing their advice. And when it comes to GI stuff, I find so often what you hear is you need to stop having any dairy. You need to stop having any sugar. Like it's basically like remove and eliminate all of these foods, which I understand that that might be an important part of the process of figuring out if there's any allergies there. I also think that you want to do it with professional care because I've also seen so many people end up struggling with eating disorders and body image stuff because now they've got this wild relationship with food where they're not sure what they can eat, what they can't eat. Is it going to hurt me? Is it not? Is this bad? Is this good? So it can get really complicated. What was your journey like in managing SIBO? You really nailed it with sort of doing it on your own. I mean, I think I did that and it didn't work. (laughs) We all try it. We all start that way. We're like, we can figure, I'll just have some apple cider vinegar and that will do the trick. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) If I had a dollar every time someone said that, I would be very wealthy. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's frustrating. And you're right, Erin. I mean, I didn't get an eating eating disorder as a result of sort of DIYing it, but I definitely, it impacted my relationship with food and my quality of life overall. I mean, the SIBO journey was complex. SIBO is a very complicated condition. We don't really know exactly what the root cause of SIBO is. Um, Some people say it's low hydrochloric acid. Some people say it's motility issues. So our gut actually isn't like clearing our intestines the way that it should, um, which then causes, you know, the contents of the large intestine to reflux into the small intestine, which causes um, bacterial over- overgrowth. There's just a, a lot of theories out there and we don't really know what the root cause is. And so healing from SIBO can be really challenging. It took me several years of, you know, lots of experimentation with practitioners to kind of heal myself. But I know so many people who just have recurrent SIBO in which they, you know, are diagnosed, they take the medication, they go on, you know, the dietary protocol for it, and then they retest and they still have it. So recurrent SIBO is actually really, really common. I had recurrent SIBO, I want to say like four times. (laughs) It just kept coming back. And for me, the issue was really with motility. It's very, really interesting because you mentioned stress before, right? And so my motility or lack thereof (laughs) um, caused my recurrent SIBO, but my motility was really impacted by stress. 
And so really, once I was able to kind of manage my stress levels in conjunction with, you know, medication, and then like a supplement protocol, I was able to heal SIBO. But I think stress management was the thing that really helped to support my gut the most. So it was a long journey. And I wanted the answers. (laughs) um, And I wanted one pill (laughs) to be able to like make it go away. But it was a lot of trial and error. Trial and learn, learn actually, is, is what I like to call it. <laughs> um, I love but, that. Trial yeah. and learn. Yes. Trial and learn. Honestly, can say that I've tried almost everything and really managing my stress levels in conjunction with the medication and some supplements helped the most for me. What you said was just so real there. We all want that magic pill. Just that one, just give me the magic pill that's going to make me feel better so that I can carry on doing all the things and taking on the world full force. But whether we're talking about gut health or anxiety or depression or healing our relationship with food, what we hear over and over and over and over again, and it's never a quick fix solution is stress reduction, is reducing stress. And that's so challenging in this day and age with so much coming at us from so many different directions and social media, and there's just a lot going on for a lot of people. So I do want to talk about your stress management tools, but before we go in that direction, one of my best, best friends was diagnosed with SIBO a couple of years ago, and her symptoms were bloating, but mostly these awful migraines where she would be throwing Mm. up, she'd have to like go into a a dark room for a couple of days while her symptoms started to ease. So she went to a naturopath and was given a protocol of what she could and could not eat. And then some medication, which would basically help to kill off the overgrowth of bacteria. And then during that process, she experienced what is called die-off symptoms. So it's basically like Mm -hmm. the bacteria starting to die. And as it dies, it releases toxins into your body. So then you can feel like a lot of additional symptoms. And so she would go through these cycles and is still like struggling with this. And it's totally fine sometimes, but then just gets taken out out of the blue by what they think is SIBO as well. What was your path medication-wise, holistic, naturopath, like in regards to the medicine side of things? Yeah, so I actually was diagnosed with SIBO by a GI gastroenterologist. I was lucky enough to be diagnosed quite a while ago before SIBO was actually a thing. Well, it was a thing, but before it was so common. <laughs> before everyone had it, were, yeah. We're, we're sort of more aware of it. And I was diagnosed with breath tests. And then I was treated with a variety of different medications. The main one that I was treated with is called Zyfaxan. And I was also treated with Flagyl. I actually did a protocol where I did prep for colonoscopy, where you basically shit your brains out. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. My husband has grown, so he has to do this once a year. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that actually is being utilized as a SIBO treatment as well by some physicians oh, and naturopath doctors. Yeah. Just clear everything out. Yes. Okay. Get it out, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I tried those, which they didn't really work that well. I mean, I think they work to relieve my symptoms, but again, like the symptoms eventually came back. I also tried like a series of herbal protocols 
using like a combination of antifungal and antibacterial herbs, which also didn't work that well for me. I mean, I think I think it eradicated it for a short period of time and then it returned. So I really needed to address the root cause, which was really the motility issues that I was having. So those were the medication and supplement protocols that I tried. From a diet perspective, there's a lot out there and a lot of it is very restrictive. There is a protocol where you completely eliminate all carbohydrates um, and have basically on a liquid diet, which is obviously really restrictive. You do for a short period of time. I personally have never been on that and I've never put any of my clients on that. There's this diet called the low FODMAP diet um, that is an evidence-based diet for people who have irritable bowel syndrome. Um, It's also been found to be potentially helpful for people who have SIBO. I actually did try that diet for a long time, but it's not a diet I would recommend doing on your own. I did it on my own before I became a dietitian. (laughs) Um, And I did it for a very, very long time. And you're really only supposed to do it for 30 to 90 days. So it's a complicated diet. It can be helpful. And it's, I think, good for a very unique set of individuals who really need it. But I find that I really kind of use that as a last resort because it is complex and restrictive. And it restricts healthier foods like avocado and Brussels sprouts Mm. and and beans and things like that. So it's not something that I recommend in the long term. So I I really did experiment with almost everything. And I I think a combination of these things, like they all helped. (laughs) But again, like they didn't resolve and none of them were sustainable in the long term, right? I I didn't want to be on the herbal protocol for a long term. I didn't want to be on medication for a long term. And certainly my doctors and practitioners didn't recommend that, you know, I didn't want to be on low FODMAP for a long term. So I was really kind of stuck and looking for more longer term solutions. And, you know, I I found that through a combination of nutrition and also, you know, body work and, you know, really working on my mental health too. Okay. Let's talk about this. Let's pretend I come to the table and I'm like, help, I can't poop and I'm always bloated and I feel like I'm getting headaches and I don't know what is going on with my body. And I'm so exhausted from trying all of these different things that work for a second and then they don't work, which by the way, doesn't that kind of sound like diets that we talk about for weight loss? I feel (laughs) like there's so many crossovers (laughs) here. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you recommend? Like what would be some steps? Obviously you can't take everyone through an entire protocol right now, but what are some tools or some takeaways that somebody who's struggling with this right now could maybe start to apply to their life that really worked for you and your clients? Yeah. So the first thing that I always recommend starting with is a very detailed food journal. I know this sort of sounds like simple and rudimentary, but it's actually really, really helpful for the individual and also for a practitioner. First of all, don't do it alone. (laughs) You can get help. (laughs) You can get help if you're listening. I have a team of dietitians and we take insurance. So (laughs) somebody is out there. Yes. So starting with a comprehensive food journal where you're tracking what you're eating, how much of it you're eating, when you're eating it, I think is really, really important too. People seem to miss that. And that's actually really important for SIBO. So what you're eating, how much you're eating, when you're eating, any sort of environmental, notable environmental situations, like whether you're under a lot of stress or 
you know, if you're eating on the go, right, uh, versus like sitting down to eat at the table, things like that are really, really important. So starting with that helps us to collect data. When it comes to, you know, evidence-based nutrition care, when it comes to working with a registered dietitian, or at least my registered dietitians, we're really data-driven. So we really want to see, okay, what are you eating? What does this look like? And then from there, we can start to create something a little bit more personalized, right? We think about, okay, you know, for people with SIBO, it can be helpful to spread your meals out instead of snacking more frequently, eating maybe every four hours instead of every two hours, for example. Mm. And that's because there's something called the migrating motor complex, which is sort of like this wave of muscular contractions in your GI tract that sort of sweeps your GI tract, which is a good thing, right? We want the migrating motor complex to occur because that helps to clear our intestines, which is a very good thing when you have SIBO. But when you're eating frequently, it actually stops the migrating motor complex from happening. So it's helpful to see, okay, what's going on with your food frequency? You know, it looks like you're eating every two hours. Well, that might be contributing to the SIBO, right? So let's try and spread things out where you're eating every three to four hours instead of every one to two hours, right? Or maybe we're seeing someone who is eating huge kale, raw kale salads. That's like a big one I see actually, because it's so deceiving, right? People are like, this is really healthy. You know, like I'm eating this like massage kale salad. And, you know, (laughs) instead of like cutting out like gluten and dairy and this and that, right? Oftentimes I see people are really just getting quite bloated and even constipated from just eating, you know, way too much fiber without enough water or, you know, really needing to have more cooked vegetables, right? Um, Things that are broken down more. I mean, kale is just something that I feel like has been held under this limelight as being the most healthy food. And it's probably very, it is very nutrient dense, but I can't eat raw kale without having a bad stomach ache in the same way that I can't do chickpeas and onion. And so it just reaffirms to kind of note what and how your body's reacting to things. Even if they're deemed Mm -hmm. healthy, it might not be right for you and your digestive tract. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, kale is uh, leafy green, as, as you said, it's very healthy. It's also low FODMAP, which means it's on the okay list of foods to have if you have IBS, right? But, right, like having boatloads of, of raw kale can be like, really difficult for people to digest. And so that's why I like to really do a comprehensive like food journal analysis before I put people on a dietary protocol for anything, because it could just be some very simple lifestyle shifts, right? Oftentimes people are maybe even eating too much. And so kind of just working with people on decreasing their portion size and not completely eliminating foods, right? And so maybe instead of having, you know, two cups of lentil soup, why don't we have like a quarter cup of lentils added to a salad, right? And Mm. so instead of completely eliminating legumes, we can really work on portion size, to help to support people without having a major impact on their quality of life. So I think looking at the data is just so important. You know, I find that people are often eating on the run, right? And so working with people to really like slow down when they're eating and take the time to chew their food and really, you know, our digestion starts in our mouth, right? And so it's possible that you're having indigestion because you're not chewing your food enough. And all of these things feel really simple, but they can actually have a huge positive impact on quality of life without having to kind of throw everything up in the air and say, okay, I need to go on this really drastic protocol in order for me to like heal my IBS, (laughs) right? And I need to take 
all of these supplements, you know? Yes. Yes. I mean, so much of health and wellness, it really does come down to the basics. However, the basics often don't feel very basic anymore. One thing I've noticed when you're talking about the food journal, the women that I work with are all, for the most part, struggling with some form of disordered eating. Not an eating disorder that's been diagnosed, but just a complicated relationship with food, which is like 75% of women at this point. <laughs> yeah. I think women and men. Yeah, women <laughs> and, and women anyone. and men. Women and men. Yeah. Yes, yes. My my pink branding seems to attract a very specific demographic, but it is <laughs> men and women. And one thing I've noticed in doing food journals is that a lot of women and men feel really self-conscious about what they're writing down on that. And I'll hear people say, I was going to start yesterday, but then I kind of screwed up that day of eating. And so I, then I started the next day because I, I don't know, like I didn't want you to see what I'd written down that day. So do you notice this in your practice, the, the complicated relationship with food that we have? And how do you think this impacts the GI issues? Yeah. I mean, I think it's so insidious. It's, really difficult and complicated. Um, I think that, you know, what we eat is influenced by so many different things. It's influenced by media, it's influenced by, you know, our parents, our friends, our culture. It's so complex, you know, that's why nutrition is not just you know, a science. It, it, it is. It's the science of food. But at the end of the day, like we don't eat in a vacuum. No. <laughs> there are so many things that impact our relationship with food and how we eat and what we eat and when we eat. So it's really tough. I mean, if not impossible to eat for fuel. I have clients come in all the time and they're like, I just want to be able to fuel. That's what I want my relationship with food to be. And I'm like, no, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> you know, like that's great. Like we can stop emotionally eating or at least like work on that. Yes. But the reality is that, you know, you're not just going to fuel your body with food. Food is, is complicated. And, and I think it's really important to address that when working with people to make change. And I think we as healthcare providers are, you know, in service to be able to support people in a non-judgmental way. And I think that's like a huge missing link for a lot of people, especially women, especially people of color, to really go to a healthcare provider and not feel judged is mm. is actually hard, yeah. <laughs> right? It's a scenario where people are often just feel incredibly insecure around food. And so I really, you know, I tell people like I've seen and heard everything. I am here to support you. I'm not here to judge you. The reality is that you're doing this anyway. You're eating this way anyway. And I think it's important for people to kind of own it if they want help, you know, um, but it's tough for them to own it if they feel like they're being judged, um, which is a huge problem in our healthcare currently. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a blatant problem where people like not all healthcare practitioners, but there is judgment passed. And that's really, that's not even just the healthcare professionals. That's as a society, we place so much moral value on the way that we eat, on the way that other people eat. We label foods as good and bad. We feel like if we eat a certain way, then we are bad. We even have that saying, you are what you eat. Like you actually are not entirely what you eat in regards to who you are as a human being and all yeah. the different facets that you bring to the world. Okay. So coming back to healing GI issues, you mentioned 
keeping a food journal so that you can really look at the data and look at what's going on, spreading meals out a little bit, chewing food, slowing down. Talk to me a little bit about stress reduction and what that looks like for you as an individual. Yeah. You know, the stress piece is also so triggering for a lot of people because I know a lot of people who come to see me have had chronic conditions and they've been to their doctor and they've been like, well, maybe you're like a little stressed. <laughs> and I think, I think like as women, you know, going to the doctor and then saying, well, you're just stressed out feels like, oh, you're just crazy. Right. You know? And I think that can be like really upsetting it's a saying that I think is overly utilized. Um, And so like, it's important to validate people and let them know, like, I'm hearing you say that you are having these symptoms and these symptoms have gotten worse during periods of stress, right? And so I'm seeing this connection. And so I don't know if this is going to heal everything, but I think it might be worth addressing, right? There's a huge difference between that and saying like, well, you know, you just need to work on your stress. Right. Totally. (laughs) And that just adds a a whole another layer of stress on top of the stress that we're already feeling. It's like one more thing we've got to try and breathe slower and add 30 minutes of meditation to the day and all the things. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, the meditation piece has been something that I have struggled with so much. I cannot tell you how many times I have tried and started a meditation practice and it just it's really hard for me, you know, it doesn't really work for me. I mean, it works when I do it, but I really fight it. There's this like internal battle that I have to meditate. And like, I know it's evidence-based. I know it works. I know I feel better when I do it, but I just cannot do it. Right. And so I have so many clients like that too, whether it's meditation or, you know, something else. And so I really work with people to figure out what works for them. I think it's so important to meet people where they're at and not like put your own goals on people. What's going to work is what works for the person, what's easier for the person, right? I know that meditation works for me, but I also know that I don't do it consistently because I have this thing Mm -hmm. with meditation, right? And so, you know, I really work on ways to kind of incorporate the healing aspects of meditation into my day to day, right? So like taking a mindful breath getting up, going outside, looking at the sky. (laughs) I know that sounds crazy, right? But that's sort of this mindfulness piece, right? And changing perspective and just kind of taking a moment to really be aware without judgment. And, you know, looking at the sky helps me to do that. Even just like, you know, massaging my foot, right? Like that helps me to relax, for example, or my shoulders. And that then gives me the opportunity to sort of like take a deep breath and reset. And it could be a five second thing. You don't have to meditate for 20 minutes. You can just, you know, take a three second breath. So that can be really helpful. But I also really like to talk to people about tools that you can use to manage stress in the moment, which is, you know, the breathing, calling a friend, listening to music, listening to a podcast, right? These stress management techniques all really help in the moment, but then also kind of looking at stress from a big picture perspective, like, okay, what's the underlying stressor here, right? There's day-to-day stresses that we all experience, like, you know, being stuck in traffic, but then there's other stressors like, okay, what's going on with your lifestyle, right? Like, is there something that we need to change in your lifestyle in order for you to have a lower level of stress overall and be able to manage those day-to-day things? And so kind of working with people on, you know, those healthy lifestyle changes can be really helpful, whether it's, you know, advocating for yourself at work. So you can work from home more if you have kids, right? Asking for help, moving a city, right? Like whatever kind of that is, kind of working with people on 
also changing that lifestyle piece too, because I think that's really important or else you're just constantly trying to manage stress. Really getting to the root cause, I think is so important. Love it. This sounds like the perfect moment for everyone to do a checkup from the neck up and to push pause on the episode and to think about, let's really lean into moving towards a more calm state. So if I were to ask you in this moment, you've got two coaches on the line right now, what supports you as an individual in feeling more calm in your body? Is it the foot massage? Is it finding your breath? Is it calling a friend? Is it going outside? Is it doing some yoga? Is it turning social media off for the night and not engaging in that? Is it going to bed earlier? Is it skipping the caffeine? What helps you feel more calm? And it really is going to be individual for everyone who's tuned in. I'm not a huge advocate of cutting things out of our diet unless you have an allergy or there's like some severe thing that's going to happen within our body. Because in my personal experience, and then what I see in other women is the more we cut things out and say, no, 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 we cannot have any of that. Then the more it's like we want it and it gains all this power over us. In regards to gut health though, are there any things that you're like, this should be avoided or we really want to minimize this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for everyone to just minimize their intake of highly processed foods because they're not nutrient dense, right? When it comes to our health, um, we really fuel ourselves with the food that we eat. And if we're not eating high quality foods, then it's going to be difficult for our gut to have the nutrients that it, that it needs. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially when it comes to things like fiber, right? If you have Crohn's disease, or ulcerative colitis, fiber can be a little bit more complicated. And certainly with IBS, fiber can be complicated too. But having fiber in the diet is really important for a healthy digestive system for most people. And so, you know, you're really missing out on high uh, on a lot of fiber if you're having processed foods, even if they're like so-called healthy processed foods. You're still missing out on those key nutrients just by having a more processed version of the food. So I think really focusing on most of your diet coming from whole foods is really, really, really important. I don't think you need to avoid them completely, right? It's kind of like an 80-20 situation, 90-10, right? Yes. Like, do you ever have like a chocolate bar or dessert or are you, is that a no for you? And there's no judgment either way. I'm curious about (laughs) your take on it. Yeah, it's such a good question. I like chocolate, but it gives me heartburn. So I don't. don't Interesting. Yeah, your body's like, no, thank you. Yeah, my body, I listen to my body, right? Like every time I have chocolate, I wake up at four in the morning and I have severe heartburn and I feel it feels like I have a heart attack. So (laughs) (laughs) I just don't have it, you know? Yes. (laughs) It's it's not for me. Um, And I think also, too, by kind of like being in tune with your body, like I'm really in touch with my body. And sometimes I'm annoyed that I'm so sensitive because I feel everything, right. But I think being in touch with your body can really help you to kind of figure out, okay, do I need this right now? Does this work for me? And you can kind of create like an individualized plan that works for you, right? Like I can French fries. I love French fries. French oil and fried foods are like a big heartburn trigger, but they don't trigger me. Right. So, You're like, I'm here for you know. the heartburn, but not the heart attack from chocolate. <laughs> I will do. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. Yes. Okay. Um, so you're not only drinking green juice. You still make room for foods that give you some joy and in moments comfort, like Food, as you said, it can be so many things. It is 
primarily fuel, but it's also connection and joy and happiness and memories and like a lot of other things too, which are really beautiful as we're living this life that we're living. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to get to the point where I'm at. Um, It takes a long time and I've done the work and I think I'm really proud to say that I'm at a point where like 90% of my diet is healthy and wholesome and I feel really good and want to eat that way, you know, and that other 10% of my diet is more indulgent and I'm really able to like eat those foods in moderation and really enjoy them without judgment and have them as part of like a shared experience with my loved ones or by myself on my couch, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, without guilt or shame, you know, it took a long time for me to get there, but you absolutely can get there. I think that it's important to, to really just like do the work and stay hopeful. And it's a mind body thing, you know, it's work mentally, it's work physically, there's no quick fixes, but you can get there. And so I I eat whatever I want, but it just so happens that 90% of what I want is like really wholesome food. But you know, that other 10%, I also want and I also enjoy. Yeah. But you don't sound like you have a lot of restriction where it's like, I can't have that. And the restriction is really what causes so much of our desire and gives that 10% that you're having so much power. So yeah, it sounds like you really have put the time in and the work in and tried so many things and so much trial and learning. I love that you said that to be in a place now. And it's so beautiful that in all of that work that you've done, you now have so much to give to other people and to share with other people in supporting them and feeling better in their unique individual bodies as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it with the unique individual statement. You know, I think it's just so important to remember that what works for me is not going to work for you um, necessarily, right? Like we can talk about general things that help to support people from a GI perspective, from a relationship with food perspective, but everybody is really different. And we're all like such unique humans. And I think that's why health is so interesting. And like mental and physical health is so interesting, because there's different strokes for different folks, right? And so being able to kind of recognize that you're on your own path, you have your own journey, there's a healing experience that's out there, but it's probably going to look different than your mom's or your friends or whoever's on Instagram, right? So, you know, really kind of work with getting help to figure out what that looks like for you. Okay, a couple last questions. If I were to send you off to a deserted island and you could take a backpack with three items to support gut health and your overall wellness, what would you be packing in that bag? <laughs> Such a good question. I mean, unlimited amounts of water. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I am such a water junkie. I like we're doing this podcast right now. And like, I just am looking at my water bottle. Like, I can't wait to take a sip. (laughs) I've got my hydro jug sitting beside me as well. I agree. I agree. I'm on the same page. Okay. So water, water, water. Let's see from like a gut health perspective, I would take something that would help me to like procure vegetables, right? Like if there's like vegetables on this island, I need to figure out how to 
keep them. So maybe like a fridge. Yes. <laughs> She's packing a fridge. She's got her water I'm in her gonna, fridge. Yes. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to pack my fridge. Okay. So. I feel like that's actually really smart. I will survive for a while. That is very <laughs> smart. Nobody else has ever brought a fridge to the island, but I'm here for it. And I'm going to camp next to you because that would also make some nice cold water on a deserted island. What's the third thing that you're bringing with you? I think the third thing that I would bring with me, and I feel like this is such a dumb answer, but would be like my phone because it's not a dumb answer. (laughs) I just want access to things. That's like the Swiss army knife of tools that you could bring with you is the phone. And then if you were to send one last email that was going to land in the inbox of every woman, it was the last message that you would get to send. What would you say? I would say you're doing great. I think women are so hard on themselves and we're just constantly bombarded with messages of you're not enough. You're not doing a good job, whether it's internal or external. I mean, I think, you know, every woman just needs to hear like, you're doing great no matter where you're at. Good job. So all the women out there, you're doing great. You'll get there. (laughs) Just let that land because it really is true. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Erin. I had so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Rob Talks community at Rob Talks, And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together.